there's two parables that people ask a lot of questions about over my years as a minister, and this is one of them. Because we are used to Jesus telling parables where there's a direct parallel between his story and our experience with God, our relationship with God. The moral of the story is easier to, to figure out. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Would you join me in a word of prayer before I begin? Gracious Heavenly God, faith is your gift to us, and you engender it through the Word. Help me to preach rightly in this time that all I speak comes from you, and none of it from me. Let anything that is of me dry up and be blown away like dust upon the wind, but let your Word go deep into our hearts it may flourish there and bear fruit. These things we ask through Jesus our Lord. Amen. So we seem to be in the part of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is telling the difficult to understand parables. I have had there's two parables that people ask a lot of questions about over my years as a minister and this is one of them. Because we are used to Jesus telling parables where there's a direct parallel between his story and our experience with God, our relationship with God. The moral of the story is easier to, to figure out. Like in the prodigal son story. Um, the, the father sees the son coming at a distance, runs to meet him, uh, throws aside his dignity, bestows back on him his full inheritance because he has come home. Uh, and we're supposed to get the fact that the prodigal son is us and God is the father. In fact, it should be called the parable of the forgiving father, not the prodigal son. And we're used to that, that way of thinking. Jesus is using a different technique here, a very Hebrew idiom of contrast. He's telling a contrasting story to help us understand what our relationship with God is like. But Luke must have realized that this would be difficult for his readers. His readers were likely Gentiles and not Hebrews, um, his first readers. So we're told, he says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So he's letting us know up front what the purpose of the moral of the story is, the purpose of this parable. So the woman comes to this judge who fears neither God nor man, and she badgers him night and day. Finally, just to get her out of his hair, the judge says, All right, I don't care. I, I don't care to do the right thing, but I'll do the right thing in her case just because she's on my case. And I don't want to get worn out by her. Jesus' point, and I've had people ask me this, is not, is God an unjust judge? That's not the point. He's making the opposite point here. His point is that if even somebody who's unjust 
will offer justice to someone because they ask again and again and again and again. How much more so will God give justice to those who ask for it? Now, the people hearing this had a long history with God. To know that God is not an unrighteous judge. There are some moments in the Old Testament where we have a little trouble understanding why God's doing what He's doing. But the great bulk of the two-thirds of the Bible that you take and have on your shelf at home that we call the Old Testament is God calling His people again and again and again back to righteousness when they have fallen away. Telling them that they need to feed the widow who has no means of supporting herself. They have to take care of the poor. They have to take care of the outsider. They are required constantly to show God's character to the world by behaving as God would behave toward them, making them welcome and caring for their needs. This is what all the prophets do, greater and minor, throughout the Old Testament. In fact, this is so much so the case, and so clearly the case, and I can't remember the guy's name. His first name's Yuval, but I can't remember his last name. Um, he's a professor, of, an atheist, an anthropologist, and he wrote an international bestseller a couple years ago called Sapiens. Sold over 10 million copies internationally. Uh, has been translated into over 13 languages, and it's, it's this, this big, important book for, that everyone's reading. In that book... He actually says, he says, the idea of universal human rights is not universal. There's only one place that came up with that concept. Because he's an atheist, he says it's a Judeo-Christian myth. Only in the history of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all people bestowed with dignity, whether they are inside of the people of God or outside. All people are made in God's image and have a dignity they possess that they do not have to earn and which they cannot lose by virtue of their participation in a group. This is the God whom the Israelites know and to whom Jesus is telling them, pray constantly, persistently, never give up praying. Because you know God loves you. You know God wants to give you the justice that you so de are desire. Now I can hear some people saying in my head, I didn't actually hear you say this. <laughs> I could hear people saying, but what about the unanswered prayers? What about the frustrated prayers? What about the, the really important prayers that I didn't see come to fruition and I can't understand why God wouldn't have granted that prayer. Because part of what Jesus is calling us to do, when he ends this passage with, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? He's calling us to trust in the one whom we're asking. Trust in the God whom we're making our supplications to. So what about those unanswered prayers, or prayers that weren't answered the way I expected them to be, and I don't understand it? I learned a marvelous lesson about this when I was still a seminarian. Um, when I was a seminarian, I was blessed for two years to serve Lineborough Lutheran Church. Um, they had gotten so small, they couldn't even afford a part-time pastor. So they kept sending seminarians up there to cut our teeth for a couple years. They were used to us. They were very patient. And um, 
as I was going in there uh, to, to serve my two years, right behind the guy coming out of that, time, that place and going off to South Dakota, the pastor said to me, he said, Pastor, he, he just didn't even call me Pastor X, I wasn't a pastor. He said, Brett, you got to get to know Romaine. You got to get to know Romaine. Romaine runs the church. If you're smart, you'll get to know Romaine. <laughs> I couldn't miss Romaine on my first Sunday. <laughs> Romaine was a presence. She was boisterous and she was funny. She had a great sense of humor. Um, Romaine lived across the street from the church. And the first Sunday I was there, she said, you and I need to go out to breakfast. Can't miss Romaine. <laughs> well, she was a, a beautiful southern uh, gentlewoman. And uh, we went out to breakfast and she was started to tell me some of her story. And she was telling me she lived right across the street from the church. And she said how much she loved that, her house. She'd always loved her house, but now she loved it especially because when she looked out her window of her living room, she could look right into the cemetery of the church where her husband Grover was buried, who had just died recently, before I came. And uh, I said, yeah, that, that is really special. That's neat. I said, and even as a young pastor, I know that's the kind of, kind of comment that requires follow-ups. I said, so how are you doing with that? How long were you guys married? And she says, well, 54 years. I said, 54 years? That's a, that's a long time to be with someone and not have them anymore. How are you, how are you holding up? How are you dealing? And she said, uh, well, i got to be honest, it's difficult. But I learned very young that I needed to trust God with these adventures in my life. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, when I was 17, my mom contracted cancer. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed that God would heal her. But she got sicker and sicker and sicker, and she finally died. And um, I thought, phooey, I'm done with this God thing. He doesn't answer prayers. If he's even there, he dies. He doesn't listen, so I'm done with this thing. And for three years, that's the way I lived. Three years, I just did what I wanted to do. She said, I probably wasn't as wild and crazy as some of the young folk today, because the rules are a little different now, but... I lived like God didn't exist. Three years after my mother passed, my brother took his own life. And all of a sudden, the wind was knocked out of me and I found myself kind of praying, kind of talking to God again and saying, why? And almost instantly, I felt a movement in my heart where I felt God say to me, your mother couldn't have dealt with this. And she said, I realized he was right. My mom was going to die one way or another. But if she died at that time, she would have died with a broken heart after the death of her son instead of with a full heart, hoping and looking forward to what was to come. And I decided from then on that I was going to keep praying. And no matter what, no matter what, I was going to trust God to give the right answer to my prayer. I knew He was going to answer my prayer, I just didn't know how. I said, okay, so how does that connect with Grover? And she said, well, Grover and I had a great life. We had a long life together. We used to run a dairy farm. This house wasn't my original house. We built this after I sold the farm. So during the Great Depression, we got to support all the families in the neighborhood because when they didn't have money, we could still give them milk. 
and the kids wouldn't go hungry. Grover was beloved of all the children in the neighborhood and he was a mentor to them when they went through difficult things, things they couldn't talk to their parents about. We had a great life together. And then he got sick. Had a form of diabetes that just was unmanageable. And the doctors told us how he was going to die. How little by little his extremities were going to stop working and then it was going to work its way towards his core and little by little the, the organs were eventually going to shut down till finally the heart and the lungs went and that was how he was going to pass from this life. So we started praying. And, um, and we kept praying and he kept getting sicker but we kept praying. Well he got to the point where he was barely functioning and um, he was so sick one Saturday I said I'm not going to church tomorrow morning. Um, I just, I've got I've to stay home and take care of him. But when I woke up in the morning, he kind of bounced. He was sleeping out on the sofa. And uh, when I woke up in the morning, he was already up. And he was making toast and coffee. And he, and he, he said, uh, he said, he said what, are you, what are you doing? She said, you're not even dressed. And she said, well, I'm staying home with you today. He said, no, you're not. I'm fine. Go to church. Tell Jesus I love him and I'll see him soon. So she got herself dressed and she went across the street and they had church and then they had fellowship time, coffee hour like ours. And one of Grover's friends said, Hey, how's he doing this morning? She said, Oh, he's doing great. She said, oh, I'm going to run over and say hi to him. We came back about five minutes later and she could tell from the look on his face that he was gone. When she walked home, she was expecting to see him gone. What she wasn't expecting was the way she found him. Not crumpled on the floor where he had fallen. Not even lying in bed peacefully with his hands folded. But laying like this. In the shape of the cross. And when the doctor came, she said, Have you ever seen this before? And he said, Only one time. Was he a believer? She said, Oh yeah. <laughs> God gave him a chance to give his testimony one final time. She said, Pastor, that's why I trust. I don't know how God's going to answer the prayer, but I know he's going to answer it. And when Jesus said to his people in today's reading, I tell you he will give them justice and give them quickly, what they could not know is that he was headed directly to the cross. When God's justice would be shown forth for all the world to see for all time. His justice and His mercy. And we who live on the other side of that cross have even more reason to be persistent in prayer. We know the character of God even more clearly than the Jews of Jesus' day did who had the Old Testament to look back on. For we know that in Christ, God came looking for us when we were at that infinite distance from Him and was willing to give His life that we might be reunited with Him. In our first reading, Jacob is renamed Israel. The name Jacob means trickster, liar. Someone who lies to themselves about God and about what that means for their life and that's how he had lived his life to that moment. God renames him Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. And Israel would become the name not just for Jacob but for the whole people of God. 
So we are called to keep praying, to keep wrestling with God, but never lose hope. Because we know the character of the God who showed himself to us on the cross. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, in our lack of faith, which is our lack of trust, which is really the first sin, the sin that gives birth to all the other ones, it's sometimes hard for us to trust what you're doing when we offer our prayers to you. But you're calling us into a relationship through those prayers where we're talking to you and walking with you day to day. We ask, Lord, that you would increase the faith in us, which is your own gift to us. Strengthen us by helping us hear again and again the great acts of the salvation that you've done for us, especially the cross, which reminds us of your infinite love for us. Help us to entrust our prayers for ourselves and our loved ones and all the world to you, knowing that you will give us justice speedily and that your mercy and love is great. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.